This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This is episode two of a five-part series where I sit down with guests to discuss topics like mishandling power in the church, spiritual abuse, image management, and Christian celebrity culture. While each episode can be listened to independently, listening to all five episodes will provide a broader understanding of how these wounds occur and what should be safe places. Episode one with Lena Abujamra is linked in the show notes and can be found on the resource page at graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt along with other books, podcasts, video segments, and ministries that speak to spiritual abuse, trauma, and hurt. Today, I sit down with Amy Fritz to discuss her family's experience with Ramsey Solutions and how her husband's dream job ended up breaking their hearts and teaching them a lot of the problems behind the curtain in some Christian organizations. Our conversation is an overview of her family's experience, but linked in the show notes is a nine-part podcast series titled Our Ramsey Story, where Amy, her husband, Melissa Hogan, and others share their detailed experience on Amy's show, Untangled Faith. If you would like to know more after listening to today's episode, click through to listen to that nine-part series. Hello, Amy. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. You are my in-real-life friend. Well, we haven't really met in real life, but you're my real-life computer friend, podcast friend, whatever that means. Yeah. So this should be a fun time. It will be. I'm all about like making friends on the internet. I know. Well, and in this day and age, especially coming out of um, COVID, like that's kind of the way that you, we communicated for two years. Exactly. So in a way it started feeling very, very normal to have this whole group of people uh, that you did not know in person, Mm -hmm. but I probably talked to them some more on the internet than I did my real life friends. Yeah. And you know, I'm a podcaster, you're a podcaster. So if you have spent any time interviewing people and then connecting with them afterwards, and then you meet them in real life. It's like, well, you're friends. I just, had, you know, I just <laughs> went to Chicago for the restore conference and got to see a bunch of people that I had only ever interacted with through my podcast or online and like seeing them in person. It was like a reunion. Yes. Well, in the restore conference, yeah. how long has it been going on? Do you, you know, know, they've only met twice, Okay. Um, but they took one year off for right. COVID. So, yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. Cause I, I noticed in your pictures that it was, uh, fairly small, but like power packed. So I was like, Oh yeah, "Hmm, I like this. Yeah. Those are like my favorite kinds. I, I, when I go to conferences where there's thousands of people, I'm like, okay, I need to find my like little posse. Yeah. Oh. And then I need to come home and just sort of like, not, I can't function for a while. So I need to, it's a lot. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's get to business. Tell everybody a little bit about how did you come to know Christ? A little bit about your faith journey, 
and maybe not so much up to this point, but just growing up. I was really in a pretty good position to be born into a family where my parents had become believers shortly before I was born. Mm. My brother was born 10 weeks early and there's nothing like having a preemie in 1974 that makes you realize my parents realized that, you know, maybe we need a little support in life and, mm. you know, get our act together. So, um, they decided to go back to church and we're like, yeah, we want to follow Jesus. And so they were new believers when I was born. And so I came into a family that was very, um, they were still like excited about their faith and really wanting to like incorporate all of those faith things into our life. So I had a great experience with my parents and growing up with that. And it was just a really natural thing. And so the more they talked about Jesus, the more I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want. You know, I was, I was pretty young. I was probably like four, you know, four years old where I was like, Hey, why can't I take communion? (laughs) Let's have a conversation about this. You know, do you just want communion? And I was like, no, like I really truly understood that Jesus loved me and had died for me. And I, I wanted to follow him. And I, I think it was probably my mom that prayed with me and it was just really sweet. I remember asking her at one point, you know, when you're little, your faith, there's a lot of theological things you don't really understand. And, right. You know, even when you're in your forties, um, I remember asking her, Hey mom, when we go to heaven, can we hold hands? <laughs> Those are the questions I want to be asking now, Amy, instead of the ones can I am hold, asking. <laughs> yes. Can we hold hands on the way that I just was imagining us, you know, flying up to heaven. Oh yeah. Do um, I get my wings? Yeah. Ah, yeah. Sadly, some people still think that, yeah. um, yeah, so, not just yeah, four-year-olds. I became a believer pretty young. My parents loved Jesus. I had, I have one older brother, uh, went to a Christian school, went to a Bible college, met mm. my husband at Bible college. We started dating after both of us were working there after okay. there. And so yeah, we had a lot of faith and Jesus in our That's lives. Right. So. That's right. Well, those are, um, you know, some people will say, oh, I don't really have a testimony. I've just always known Jesus. And I think, oh, that's an incredible testimony. And the reality is coming to know Christ is not, it's only a, a tiny portion of our faith yeah. journey. We're going to kind of dive into that a little bit today yeah. and untangling faith, which is the name of your podcast. We'll talk about that as we dive in. But what I want to start with is there came a point where your husband took a job with Ramsey Solutions in Nashville. Yeah. And you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, were you in Minnesota? Yeah, we were. Okay. You guys decided to make a huge move for your family. And so tell us a little bit about that journey of beginning to say, okay, we're, we're going to go work at Ramsey and, yeah. and all the things. You know, to, to bring us to that point of like accepting that job, there's a little context I'm going to set. We were in a really hard, low season of our life where we had dealt with a series of difficult things. I was in that stage of like adjusting to motherhood with, with small kids at home. Uh, I was feeling sort of stuck and alone. Mm -hmm. We lived in this tiny little town. The only place that we could afford to buy a house was a little bit farther out from the suburbs. So we were more of a rural area and, you know, in Minnesota in the winter, when you're out (laughs) in the boonies, it feels a little lonely. I was dealing with a bit of, of that, but then also really suddenly my mom passed away. She was mm. only 58. She had gone into the hospital um, because she had a headache that had not 
wasn't going away. And so she went in and they admitted her and um, decided she needed to have an MRI to see what was going on. And while we were waiting for the results of her MRI, she passed away. She just massive had an aneurysm, a bleed in her brain. We were actually sitting in the waiting area at the hospital and um, the doctor called us to say, Hey, we see some things and we're probably going to move her to ICU so that she can be looked at while we were on the phone, the code called, we didn't know who it was for. Uh, so we finally finished up the phone call. My dad's like, you know what? Somebody's in trouble. We should pray for them. And so we prayed, my dad and I were there and a friend of my mom's and they were like, let's go check on, let's go check on, you know, my mom. And so we walked down the hall and turned the corner and all those people that we had seen running down the hall were oh my gosh, in her room. So yeah, she had, she died just like that. Oh. She was 50, 58 years old. She hadn't been sick, but she was on blood thinners for uh, an issue, uh, a heart thing that she'd had a long time ago. And, uh, you know, you don't want to blood thinners. If there's some bleeding that starts happening, it's, it's very dangerous. So, it is. It is. um, so that was a shock and a huge thing to deal with. And then like, I think it was maybe like the next year, my husband had a, a big stressful change at his job at the Christian college we worked at. That was really discouraging. Were you still working um, at this point or had you no, I was home, home with, the, with kids. the kids? Oh, yep. Yeah. Girl, that's a big kids, time transition. <laughs> two kids that were like 16 months apart. Mm-hmm. My mom passed away. Uh, Nathan was feeling really discouraged in his, his job. And mm. we just hit a point where I was like, I wanted out. Yep. <laughs> I, just, I wanted, I, I wanted to be anywhere, but where we were. And I found this job posting and it just sounded amazing. And so I read it to my husband and, uh, Nathan was working in it at the time. He loved writing code, but it wasn't his job. So if he was writing code, I knew he was like not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Cause he was sort of overseeing all of it for this college. Hmm. And so I read this to him and he's like, Oh, a web developer job. Like I would love to do that. That sounds amazing. And I'm like, well, you know, it's actually in Nashville. <laughs> um, and I'd seen it through reading an article by John Acuff, who worked for Ramsey Solutions at the time. When okay, I first pause. read it, did you all yeah. know anything about Dave Ramsey in Financial Peace University at this point? No, we knew. I, I think I had seen his book. I had seen the, the, I had listened to a few interviews that he had done, like on Focus on the Family. He was not on the radio in Minnesota that I was aware of. And so all I knew was like this focus on the family version of Dave Ramsey when he would do interviews on there. And I had heard, you know, I'm sort of the nerd of the family. So the idea of budgeting was interesting to me. And so I I think I had checked out the book at one point. So we weren't big followers of his, but the way Acuff talked about working there, I was like, this sounds like amazing place. And Dave had a new book that came out in like 2011, I believe was around this time called Entree Leadership, which is basically about how they ran their company. And I read it and I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. He opened up the book with a story about some gathering they had at the company. And it was like this big picnic or something. And everybody was there and the company was a lot smaller than it Mm. is now. And his uh, then teen son, Daniel was with him. This is how that story goes in the book that Dave says to Daniel, like, Hey, what do you see? And Daniel's like way too many kids. And Dave says, Hey, what you need to see here is that all these people, like how we behave, what we do, the way we live impacts all of their incomes, all these kids, all these families. And, you know, our integrity matters. And reading that, it just felt like he cared about these people and, I, I wanted to be a part of that. Like it made me emotional, like choked me up. And so when I saw that there was a job opening that 
Nathan could apply for. And even though he didn't have web development in his resume, they allow you to submit a code sample so he can actually prove that he knew what he knew. And so I knew, I just figured if he could, if they could see what he could do, they would hire him. (laughs) And they did. And they did. They did. I mean, it was a long interview process, which also included when I say like, we made it through the interview process. Like I also was interviewed, they interviewed spouses and they flew us in at the end and, and had me a part of the process where I went to lunch with them all while for part of the day. Um, Of course I wasn't in all the interviews during the day. My husband was, but I was there for lunch with him and um, a couple leaders and, and spouses and yeah, they offered us the job and we were so excited. I was like, this is our chance get out of the small town. Uh, moved to Franklin, Tennessee, and we knew no one there. It was like we were it's moving far away from small town everything. Minnesota. <laughs> and we had a house that we knew was like would be hard to sell. Mm. It was underwater because uh, of the mortgage. You know the the whole housing industry. We bought That's at the right. top. Two thousand eleven was that. Yeah, we bought at the top, and it was it had tanked. Mm. Like we owed more on the house than it was worth. Yeah, you were upside down. Oh, yeah. And so when they say we were underwater, like we actually were literally and figuratively underwater. Yeah, <laughs> because they did things, some things that happened like on the street in front of the house that caused the water. Anytime it rained, all the water would run through the house, the basement. Oh my gosh. Um, and so it was sort of a nightmare. So, but we're like, let's let's see what we can do. We rented out the house for a loss. And we just hoped for the best. Mm-hmm. We packed up our stuff. We moved to Tennessee. Okay. So tell me at this point, any red flags at all <sighs> in the process? Now, I know it's hard to look back. Yeah. And now you can see them. But at the time, if you can erase the last several years, yeah. anything at that moment? Yeah. I mean, there were a few things where like communication issues, but things that can happen at any job. I mean, yeah. I feel like you kind of experienced some of that they with a lot forgotten, of interviews. Like through the interview process, they forgot who Nathan was. So they set up another interview to remind themselves oh. who he was, which is a little. That's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, but I was in such a state of like the book said, you know, they had so many people that applied and so few people that they mm-hmm. accepted. Like we were chosen. Like if there were like red flags. I was not going to see them mm-hmm. because I didn't want to see them. I think if I was in this, like, Hey, let's slow down and do a little more research and think through all this. I could have found some things that were concerning, but I, nothing made nothing major. No, I nothing, nothing yeah. major at the time. Yeah. So I was like, there's no perfect company for sure. I mean, let's just go. Let's go. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. 
Okay. So tell me this, you, you get to Nashville, what's your husband's first few years? Like what's his experience like at Ramsey? And then I know that the culture of Ramsey is very much like supposed to be family oriented Mm -hmm. spouses have some things they can and can't do. What were those first few years like? So since we're coming out of like such a place of feeling so stuck and lonely and like this small town dying town, moving to a place where so many people are moving to so many people are relocated to the middle Tennessee area. Mm-hmm. It is not hard to meet people. It is not hard to connect with people. We were living like right in Franklin. Nathan was doing what he'd always dreamed he could, who wanted to do. Like he had a great team, people that he sat next to the team leader that he was under. He loved And I would tell people it was like going to Disney world every day for him. He just loved it so much. And I was so bought in. I was like, Hey, I'm going to vault. I actually ended up very quickly being asked to help admin a Facebook group. You know, so when we joined the company, the company name was the Lampo group. Mm -hmm. And that is still like their legal name, even though they go by Ramsey solutions now. Mm -hmm. And so this, this Facebook group is called Lampo ladies And it was for like women that worked at the company or like women married to like their spouse worked at the company. And we would, you know, set up play dates, uh, girls nights out, like help each other when people are moving. If somebody was like just joining the company, you know, we would find a way to connect with them, help move them in. Really a community. It was a community. And so I loved helping to admin that I helped meeting the new people and helping them feel welcome, especially when I knew they knew nobody that they wouldn't even have anybody to write down on their emergency contact for their kids. Mm, You know, when you're registering for preschool or school and all the things like tell us where to live, tell us about the neighborhoods, drive us around. I loved it so much, but the downside of that was I quickly realized that they have a no gossip policy, which means you aren't allowed to say anything negative about the company. If you have something that is not positive to say, if my husband had something that was not positive, the only acceptable place for him to mention that would be with his leader. And so you can imagine uh, women in a Facebook group sometimes have like things to say <laughs> about life. <laughs> and so every once in a while, even spouses, we're, we're not allowed to say anything negative and they were paying attention. That, so that's was a bit of a, a red flag. There aren't a lot of companies where they're like keeping track of what the spouses are saying mm-hmm. on social media, but that was very much the case at Ramsey. And so, you know, when there were events that were coming up like a Christmas party, or there was one year they invited, they gave us a deal on going to a live event in Nashville. And at the last minute that we heard that, you know, kids weren't going to be allowed and people were concerned about that and brought it up. And you know, my husband and the husband of the other lady that was adminning the group got contacted. Somebody was paying attention. So somebody at Ramsey called them and was like, you tell your wives to shut this down. I was like, oh my word, I'm in trouble. I'm going to lose Nathan's job because people are like complaining on the internet. And I was in the middle of like at a homeschool day for my kids and on the phone outside trying to like put out fires and be like, please don't complain about your husband's employer. Uh, If you have something to say, like go to their, and you know, I mean, that in theory, yeah, that's a good idea. If you have something to say, you go to the person, but there was a higher than normal amount of fear 
in this experience. And it's kind of hard to explain. That if you but, didn't walk the tightrope, you would lose your job. Yeah. And I knew there had been another time when like they had put out their new budgeting software that they had come out with. Somebody was like talking about it on Twitter and saying that they were like copying another budget software. And I was defending the company. Like I was like, Hey, you know what? This other company doesn't own math. I mean, that's basically what a budget is. I know. <laughs> you, you know, nobody owns math. Like YNAB doesn't own math. We use YNAB by the way. You need a budget. It's my favorite budgeting software. Um, so even though I didn't even really like the, the Ramsey software that they put together, I was like, Hey, I was defending them. And Nathan got contacted. Somebody was paying attention to what I was saying online and they didn't want me to engage. And I felt terrible. Like I had just defended the company and got my hands slapped. But you know, the early days we were like, it was great, but there were a few things were like, Oh, I don't feel super comfortable with that. Yeah. Well, and you and Nathan, I mean, you all, at least in my limited experience, it seems like you guys communicate fairly well with one another during that time when that was happening. What would Nathan say to you? Like, yeah, you know, I know this is not a big deal, but I need you to stop. Or what would he say? You know, he wasn't worried about it. I don't remember exactly what he said. He's like, it's not a big deal. You aren't, or I would be like, I'm going to, you're going to lose your job. And I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's fine. Just take it down. There was another thing that had happened um, probably 2013 or 2012. I don't remember what it was. There was an article that came out that was on the Ramsey website and it was called stuff like rich people do or rich people habits. And it wasn't even written by the Ramsey organization. It was written by a man named Tom Corley. Somebody loved it and decided to share it on the Ramsey uh, somebody in Ramsey decided to put on the Ramsey blog. And it was like, if you do all these things, these are all it, it insinuated that if you did all these things, you would be a rich person. And it set off sort of a firestorm of like social media pushback because it didn't really address the nuance of like, just because somebody reads a lot and like exercises, it's, it was sort of a correlation issue and not a causation is what people were trying to say. And then it really you can't get out of poverty by reading a book, right? Like mm-hmm. not that reading is bad, not that reason reading can't help you, but it's not the cure. Yeah. It's not the cure for a systemic issue. And I remember um, Sean Groves had written an article about it on his blog and I followed Sean and I responded and just said, you know what? I kind of agree. Like, I don't think this is a causation thing. I think there's a correlation between people that have a lot of money and exercise and, you know, eating healthy and reading. And I don't remember what all it was. And I didn't realize what a big deal the whole conversation was going to be online. And the next thing I knew, you know, Nathan was telling me they had a big meeting at the office about how all these haters were coming after them online and all these liberal atheists, you know, people that didn't really understand Jesus. And it made it seem like there was this us versus them thing. And people were trying to bring down the company. And I was like, I was one of those people that disagreed. And I was so scared that somebody was going to see it and Nathan was going to lose his job. And I remember calling Nathan. I couldn't email him because I was afraid if I emailed him, somebody would see it. And so I think I called him on his cell phone. I asked if I could meet him for lunch and we sat in the car. I was so, so scared. And that is not normal. No, that that's not, not normal. That's not a normal thing to me. And I wasn't even saying anything terrible about the company. I was still a big apologist for the Ramsey org. Well, so 
let me make sure that I understand. So the mm -hmm. listener also understands. So this article wasn't written by somebody from Ramsey Solutions, but it was posted on their website. Well, it was something that like the Ramsey content team found and decided to share. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, it does. And not because of that, that started a firestorm of people saying mm -hmm. no way. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember reading the Sean Groves thing. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was a long time ago, right? Like <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, the author was interacting in the comments and stuff, and it became very clear this person didn't even understand statistics. He didn't understand research. And I was sort of like mortified that my husband's company had put this person's information out there as if he was an expert because mm. he didn't even know that what it meant to be the difference between correlation and causation. Oh, and I was like, oh, yeah. So sometimes that is a breakdown, <laughs> even in like just how sometimes you post a meme and later you're going, oh, I should have looked and seen who, yeah. who actually shared that meme before I just reshared it. Oh. Yeah. But for a long time, like Dave was really active on Twitter at the time mm -hmm. and he was really sarcastic and angry and mean about his interaction with people about it. And I was just mortified and embarrassed and I knew I couldn't say anything. And I, yeah. and I disagreed with the article. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I think and we're going to keep getting into this. Whereas it's like, you can disagree and people not try to control you and yeah. that be okay. Mm -hmm. And then you can disagree and feel like you're being micromanaged and controlled by somebody that you don't even work for. And that is a red flag. Yeah. And so the time did eventually come where Nathan left Ramsey, but there is a whole bunch of stuff that happened before that took place. So I know we could talk about that for an hour and I want to yeah. make sure that I point people towards your podcast, Untangled Faith, where I believe it's eight or nine episodes. Yeah. You guys walk through the entire experience. Yeah. I don't even remember what the <laughs> numbers are, but was it season three? Yeah, it was season three. So if you're listening and you're interested in hearing yeah. all of the details, you, you can find it in the show notes, but tell me a little bit about what happened that kind of led to him saying, whew, no more we're done. Yeah. Cause you're, some of your listeners are probably like, uh, what, what's Amy, going on? Amy, what's the big deal? <laughs> like people shouldn't complain about their employer online anyways. And like, I would, I would agree. Like it's, it's not good taste to like publicly bash somebody that is family's employer. So it's a hard thing though, before you, yeah. move on, I want people to also understand that very few of us actually work for such a public yeah. corporation either. And so exactly. whoever's listening yep. needs to also consider how often do you complain about your employer? And it doesn't matter because you work someplace where, I mean, they're not paying attention. Know, that's right. Yeah. They're not looking at your <laughs> Facebook page. Right? right. Nobody knows who you are. They're not the celebrity. And nobody knows unquote. who your husband or who you work for. Like they aren't a That's household right. name. That's right. It was a unique situation. So what, what happened with us is throughout the years, Nathan had more and more concerns. And we, like you said, we talked all the time. Like he was there we, eight years. Uh, he was there from 2012 until 2019. Okay. And so a long time and he proved himself. He was great at his job, uh, had a great leader that he worked with. So his day-to-day -day experience was actually pretty good because yeah. he had an amazing leader, but we came to realize pretty soon that because the company is so big, um, not everybody had the same work experience, right? Uh, just mm -hmm. because he had a good boss 
and um, team members that sat next to him and worked with him and they could collaborate really well and push back on each other. And Nathan could share concerns with his, his boss. Not everybody had that experience. Mm -hmm. And I believed that when people told me when I heard about it, I was like, you know what? I believe that could be the case. I had to, I had to hold that tension Mm -hmm. that Nathan's experience wasn't the same as everybody else's, but as the years went by, Nathan realized that it just felt like some things felt icky. It's a for-profit organization. So there's nothing wrong with making a profit. Don't see any issue with that, but it was also a Christian organization and holding the like for-profit and Christian, it's tricky to do that with integrity. Um, And there were times when Nathan really felt like they were really pushing on the bring in as much as money as possible thing in ways that he didn't necessarily agree were he just felt like we're just had an ick factor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't really go into detail about that because of, you know, legal issues. I mean, if anything is private, it would be some of the things that he worked with. Mm-hmm. And so he just really saw the press to when they were moving from one building to build this new building um, and move to a new campus that they were trying to bring in as much money as they could during this period of time. And he did not like the sort of the tactics that they were using to bring in money. And he, he told his leader, you know, and he felt he had a good relationship with the person he reported to and, you know, and then he would be like, okay, all right. I think I feel like, I don't love how they do this, but I've had my say. Um, and there were a couple other things that happened. One was they were really proud of their winning this like Nashville business journal, best places to work contest. Um, mm-hmm so many years in a row, but Nathan said that he started to feel really a lot of pressure about this because they would get these surveys to fill out, you know, shortly after they would get them, the pressure would be on in team meetings from like, they would have a a Monday morning meeting with everybody where leaders from the company, Dave and others would be like, Hey, you need to fill these out, get them in. And, you know, there came a point where Nathan felt like the only way he could honestly say he was not pressured was to fill it out the minute it hit his inbox before it was mentioned in any of the meetings. And then one year they actually lost. And Nathan told me they had a meeting with everybody and that Dave and the leadership was so mad. And they said, we found out some people gave some negative feedback and we found out who they were, Mm. which is alarming because these anonymous things. And I think they said they were no longer with the company anymore. And they basically said, you need to believe that we are the best place to work or your butt needs to be gone, Mm. which is alarming. So being so proud of being winning this best place to work when they were basically telling people you can even be here. If you don't think that, if you don't think we are the best place to work. So that was alarming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Nathan, I talked about that and, you know, we were really frank with each other. Like, we do not like that. We don't like that. Um, but you're like, what do we say? You know, in my mind, I was like, you know what? I feel like Dave's getting some bad advice from people. I think his heart is good. Uh, hopefully he'll just settle down and chill out a little bit at some point. You know, I don't remember what year it was, maybe 2014, 15. I don't remember there were some former employees that had, that were a part of a Facebook group where they were sort of sharing their experiences and somehow someone from Ramsey leadership, maybe even Dave himself infiltrated the group, Mm. took screenshots of it and shared it in a big team meeting with like hundreds of employees saying, these are terrible people saying terrible things about this company. 
and they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just sharing some of their experiences and some of them were hard experiences. They didn't make this group in order to be, to like bash the company, but they like posted pictures of friends. They posted pictures of, you know, like these are people that used to work with you that you still, some of you still interact with. Wow. They're bad people. Like it, like, yes. and they put a bounty out. They said, Hey, also, we feel like there's people internally that are sharing negative things. Um, there were some anonymous Twitter accounts and they're like, we're going to find out who they are. And if you know, if you see anything and you turn it in, turn people in, they're going to give them like a thousand dollars. They did put a bounty on turning people in. Are you for real? I'm for real. Whoa. That yeah. is like some major bullying going on. Yeah. And so it was scary, but you know, at the time, you know, Nathan was making good, a money. good living and I was like, oh, well, these people are just a little bit disgruntled. I want a Dave to well, settle it's hard down. To, like what you said when you, I mean, and I think this is true um, of any bigger companies. You can totally love your department or yeah. like you said, your team lead and then look around and be like, oh my gosh, there is yeah. some crazy stuff going on over there. And then when do you finally yeah. say no more? Well, and in the middle of all this, there ended up being a big article that was posted in the daily beast. And of course it was all over the news and I was just mortified, mortified. I was sick to my stomach. You know, every time I go online, I'd be like, oh, I just, I wanted it to go away so badly. And that is not a normal work experience that I shouldn't right. like, and it wasn't even, it was my husband's work experience. And I was like all what, tied up. What was the daily beast it, article right? about? It was written by Matthew Paul Turner and it's called mm-hmm. spies, cash, and fear. And it basically talked about like the bounties that were put out and the Facebook group and all the bullying. And Dave had actually exposing it. What happened was Dave tried to find out who was saying things about him. And then he like contacted their pastors and said, we're going to, I want you to, if you are a man, meet with me at this restaurant and we'll work through things. Okay. I've already invited your pastor. So he like contacted people's pastors to try to involve their pastors in it. Well, and at what point, maybe this was after Nathan was gone, but at what point did the situation where his, I don't know if it's his right-hand man or Mm -hmm. who it is that had the affair yeah, and it was covered up because at Ramsey, if you have sex before marriage, if you are involved in any extramarital affairs, like you're supposed to be fired immediately. Yeah. That is part of our story because, you know, all this stuff had happened, but you know, we did our best to be like, okay, not think about it and that there were more good than bad. Right. And that they really meant well, the company was doing good things. But then in 2018, I was good friends with the spouse of, uh, you know, one of the really high profile speakers of the company, Chris Hogan, Mm -hmm. he was married to my friend, Melissa. And, you know, he was like the heir apparent to Dave on the radio. He was, had a book coming out and in, in December of 2018, my friend, Melissa, she ghosted me. Like all of a sudden she was not showing up. They did not show up for the Christmas party, either one of them, which was a big event. Um, I started texting her. She wasn't messaging me back. I just, she you knew something And so I knew something was wrong. And I, I turned on the little detective part of me and I just, I went online and started scrolling through different things. I started scrolling through Twitter and I found a few tweets sent to Chris Hogan with Bible verses on them, which was weird. And those verses were sent from somebody that knew him really well. So it was weird to me to see like this person that knows this person really well in real life was like, Hey buddy, I like this Bible verse. What do you think of this Bible verse? And 
And so I was like, okay, I'm going to look up these verses that this person is sending. And, and it's a female person. No, it was actually, it wasn't, it was wasn't. someone, it was like, it was a guy who was sending these verses to Chris, uh, a friend of, of Chris's and all of these tweets that have these Bible verses in them, the Bible verses were all about adultery. Mm. And so this person was basically calling out Chris wow. through Bible verses. I was sitting on the couch next to Nathan. And I remember just feeling like vomiting, like, cause I saw, I, I could think of no other reason why this person would send this to them, but to be accusing him of cheating on his wife. I was like, well, what would I do? I know Dave has a big stand on, like they have a righteous living core value. Uh-huh. Um, he said in his book, Entree Leadership, if your spouse can't trust you, I can't trust you. You basically have to leave. You don't get to work for Dave and cheat on your spouse. Mm-hmm. But like, all I had was this like random information and the fact that my friend had disappeared, but I just knew in my heart, something terrible had happened. We prayed and prayed and prayed for months. And then we finally, Nathan knew that it would be safe to mention it to his boss ended up being escalated to board members. And a couple of board members met with my husband. They were really dismissive to him and said, you know, here's what we think you think, you know, they said, yeah, there was some infidelity, but it was a long, long time ago. Chris is a part of the succession plan and we are moving forward. And it's sad that the, this marriage has ended and it's really ugly. And some people aren't who you think they are, which they were referring to my friend, Melissa, who had not talked to us and had not told us a single thing. They were trying to make it sound like she was crazy. She had not talked to us. Nobody had talked to us. And they said, you're going to need to decide to trust us or you know what you need to do, which was Please. trust us or quit. Mm-hmm. And Nathan and I talked and we just knew they were not being honest about it. And so Nathan resigned a couple of weeks later in a big team meeting, Dave told a big sob story about Chris and Melissa's marriage and told a lot of things that were not true to the company. And then said, you know, some people have left the company recently because they didn't think we were being honest, they thought we were covering for Chris and it's probably a good thing they left, you know, if they lack a backbone and they're not going to come and talk to me, you know, they can leave. And you know, they were talking about Nathan they're talking about my husband and they were talking about his boss that he reported to both of them resigned within like a week of each other over this situation. And the fact that like Dave sat there in front of like hundreds of people lied about Chris and then maligned my husband and other good men, it was awful. Um, mostly we kept the details to ourselves because our story involves so much of somebody else's life, you know, personal life experience. But about a year later, I wrote on um, my website, you know, the details of why Nathan left mm. and it was in the middle of COVID. So it was like, so you, w- hold on. Mm-hmm. you waited a whole year, just holding all of that in had, when did you finally connect with Melissa? Yeah. I finally connected with her after Nathan resigned. I talked to her briefly, probably a few weeks after Nathan resigned. She didn't say a whole lot. She said that they were separate at the time and God was being a husband to her and a Mm. father to her boys and just asked us to pray. At a certain point, she shared a few more details, but it wasn't until after we'd already resigned. She had not influenced us in any way. Um, well, and that's the reason why I'm curious about that mm-hmm. is because, you know, you resign and you, your husband knew at this point, what was going on for the most part, mm-hmm. but then you talk to Melissa and it, it's still like you live a whole year where you lose your community. Yeah. You lose all these things. And I can't imagine what she was going through. Yeah. Like, she lost, she a lost lot. a lot. Yeah. 
she lost a lot. And, you know, and of course, at the time, we didn't know about the meeting and everything they had said about us. We were actually found uh, a recording of it later (laughs) that God just sort of, God just sort of dropped in our laps and we were able to hear what was said in the aftermath of Nathan leaving in a way that was just crazy that we actually got a hold of that. So we did find out that the things that we were most concerned about were actually true. We found out that the company did know that Chris had been unfaithful for many, many, many years. And that in this most recent situation, they said that they decided it wasn't really infidelity because it was oral sex that didn't cross the line. But this is what I want people to hear too. A lot of things, but this, this just enrages me. Yeah. Their policy is even if you're dating someone and you're having premarital sex, you cannot work for them. Am I correct in saying that? That's correct. I feel like right now they're trying to say there's a difference between extramarital sex and premarital. And let me tell you friends who are listening, there's not. (laughs) I would dare to say it's worse if you're having an affair of any kind, emotional, deciding you're going to put your lips somewhere where they don't belong, whatever, when you're married than when you're not. Yeah. So, and the thing Ah. that was so frustrating about this is during this whole time where they're covering for Chris, they fire one of their administrative assistants who is single and pregnant. You know, it's just not okay. You know, and she wasn't related to this situation at all, but like the fact that they were covering for a guy that brought in a lot of money for them, but fired the admin assistant. It was, it's not whether you agree with firing somebody for their personal things or not is, is a totally different conversation. Absolutely. Not consistent. They were not consistently upholding what they stated were their core values. And so it was horrifying. Yeah. We did wait. I waited a year to share. Um, I waited to make sure Melissa was okay Mm -hmm. with me sharing more details about why we left. And I was really careful about it. And so I wrote on our family. Well, it's my website, not really our family website is mine. Yeah. You know why Nathan left. I still didn't share all of the details. I didn't share names um, because I still didn't want to share their family stuff, but I did share about how we realized that things weren't what they thought we thought they were. And Mm -hmm. um, within two weeks of putting that out on the internet, we were receiving a threatening email letter from the general counsel for Ramsey, sort of like a cease and desist letter, but it didn't say cease and desist, but they said, basically they were willing to you know, sue us and uh, take legal action against us for what? Uh, We didn't do anything wrong. We didn't do anything illegal. We didn't do anything immoral. We didn't say anything that wasn't true. We had not signed any confidentiality or non-disparagement things. It was a bully move. And it Mm -hmm. was, it was really scary, you know, while they were sending the people to deliver these to our houses, because they were, you know, they had somebody hand deliver them as well, as well as email them. They were gathering all of the digital development team together at the company to tell them that a bunch of us were like planning some, we were terrible people trying to destroy the company. And I want people to hear too, because I feel like nowadays we've almost gotten to the point where we overuse the term bully, that in this case, here's the thing with bullying. Mm -hmm. You are a massive corporation. You know, you can take down the little men. Yeah, he's got the money. The fact that you are going after people when you know they're not lying, you're doing yeah. it just to shut them up, and you're a huge, well-known corporation, that is bullying. Yeah, and that they they claim to be acting in the name of Jesus, right? That's so right. So not only do they send this letter to us and several other people that were completely taken by surprise, because they just happened to be 
connected to us in some way and had also left the company. Nobody had done anything wrong. Nobody had signed anything. Nobody else was saying anything really, but there was a group of us that all got this threatening letter. The next day, um, the chief technology officer from Ramsey also set up a Zoom meeting with my husband's new employer to malign my husband and threaten his job. Basically say, we're willing to sue these guys. And they, you know, Nathan's new employer wasn't sure after that meeting if they would also be threatened, if the company that Nathan was now at would also be threatened by Ramsey, all because they were so afraid of the truth. Wow. Wow. It's just so disappointing. It's not Mm -hmm. surprising to me. Yeah. But it's still disappointing. Yeah. So churches, I mean, I went through FPU. Yeah. Um, My church currently uses FPU. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I do have to ask, like, what, how do you feel about that now? (laughs) I mean, you know, like, and and I'm not saying I, I'm not the person who is like, you throw all the principles out with this, but it's hard for me as a Christian, you know, you've already said it sitting in that tension of, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like there's just this tension of you want to handle your money well, and we know this is the most popular but this dude is not who he says he is. Yeah. It is hard for me. Uh-huh. It is hard for me to see churches use it because I know that they are trading on these pastors integrity and the, in the faith that those, you know, members of those churches are like, well, I trust my church. I trust my pastor. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to suggest a curriculum to me that isn't good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, but when you sign up for FPU, they get your name and they get to sell you everything. And, and you are giving your money to this company that is using their money to harass, hurt, bully, abuse people. And there are other options out there. They may not be as popular. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are other people that can help people with their finances that don't involve you having to give money to somebody that isn't afraid to invest his money in ways to destroy people that might come in the way of his money and power. Mm. I, I think pastors probably don't know. I wish they would care if they knew. I don't know if they would or not. I would hope they would. I would mm. hope they would. I mean, it's like Mary DeMuth had mentioned the other day. It's like poop brownies, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there's just a little bit of poop in that brownie, it's still poop in it. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff that comes in the Ramsey package that is not, it is not Christ-like, is not mm. biblical. And yeah. if, if you are deciding for your church, what financial program you're using now, I'm not telling you not to use it. David probably want to send his legal minions after me. Can't tell you what to do, but I would hope that you would care about where your money is going and the people that you are putting in front of the members of your congregation as somebody that they should listen to. Cause Dave's going to continue to market all of his stuff to them, all the books, all the things, all the conferences, all the stuff, all the budgeting software, other products that are coming out, you know, he wants to sell to them. Mm -hmm. This is not out of the goodness of his heart. So it's interesting because I actually, um, I was in Florida last week and I I happened to be talking about your situation. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend say to me, yeah, so-and-so's family member works at Ramsey and she does say it's the best place to work. And so, and I know you deal with that yeah. all the time. This is our experience over here. Mm-hmm. And this is still tons of people who are going to work for him. Quote unquote experience. Yeah. Is there a both? And is there a both? This is good advice. And 
this is a great place to work. And he's a bully and abuses power. The only way that abuse works is because there's a both and. If it was all terrible, nobody would buy FPU. Nobody would listen to the radio. Nobody would go to work there. The only reason Mm. that abuse works is because there are good people. There are some good things that happen. There are some lives that are changed for the better. There are some fun things. There's some like fun Christmas parties and there are great relationships and life change that has happened. That is the only reason why the abuse works. So yes, both things exist at the same time. I do not doubt that people think this is the best experience they've ever had. They also are being lied to regularly by Dave. They're also being used to promote the brand of a company of people that have done really abusive, deceitful things. And it's not their fault. It's a big organization, right? Like people don't know all all that's going on. And right, honestly, when you move your family, most a lot of the people that get jobs at Ramsey have moved their whole families here from somewhere else. Everything's here. All of their families are people they work with. They go to church with people they work with. They're all connected. To see that it is not awesome or that there's something wrong means you could lose everything. You lose your friends, you lose your church, Mm -hmm. you lose your community, and you've moved here for this job. I don't blame people for not seeing it. I don't blame people for being blind to it because I did the same thing for a really long time until I couldn't, until I couldn't. And so I don't hold that against them in any way. I know some of them are having a wonderful, wonderful experience at work. And that that's what makes me really sad because at some point, a real reckoning is really going to come, I believe. And I hope that a lot of these innocent people aren't hurt because Mm -hmm. Dave has made some really horrible, horrible decisions. Tell me what ended up happening with Chris Hogan. Did he, I mean, is he no longer there? He's no longer there. All of the things that we had concerns about that we raised that they said weren't a big deal or that we were mistaken or happened a long time ago um, in the middle of them being sued the Ramsey organization is being sued for, for firing that gal who was pregnant in the middle of that legal situation. I believe the lawyers for that woman asked for documentation about how they handled the Hogan situation. Wow. And, and when that was happening, I believe the timing lined up almost perfectly with them discovering new information that made them that they did not know before. I think that they said, I think that's what they said to people. I think they said, we just now realized we just found out he's been lying to us and we need to get Mm. rid of him. I don't know. I wasn't there in person, obviously all hearsay, but from numerous people that have said, they have said, Oh, you know, we didn't know before. Now we do. Yeah. Well, and Amy also talks to Melissa on her show, which if I'm not mistaken, it may be in the same series as your. Yeah. Yeah. It's in there. Yeah. So again, that'll all be linked. They absolutely knew they had, you know, church leaders from Melissa and Chris's church that met with them and said they knew that there was a problem and that it wasn't just a long time ago. Um, But Dave chose to not listen. It's going to cost him a lot of money to do the right thing. So that was was really sad, but like at this point, Chris is gone and I can't see, I don't know what they're saying internally, Mm -hmm. um, about us, but you know, they have not apologized. They have not said you were right. I don't Mm -hmm. expect that to ever happen. Right. I pray that it would, because that I would rather have a softening of the heart of the leadership at Ramsey 
and all these people that work there be working for somebody that who they believe is good actually be a person full of integrity. I would rather have that than have all these people's jobs at risk because somebody is acting in the name of Jesus in a way that is not Christ-like at all. And honestly, I just don't know how long God allows that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shifting a little bit into your podcast and the reason, you know, after your experience with Ramsey Solutions, a few other things yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, led you to launch Untangled Faith Podcast. And I just want people to hear how you describe it. A podcast for anyone who has found themselves disillusioned or discouraged in their faith journey and who wants to hold on to their faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true. What were your hopes when you launched it? My hope was that I could provide a place for people that had experienced pain in their faith communities, whether it's somewhere they worked or their church to say that there is a difference. Like Dr. Diane Langberg says, there's a difference between Christendom, which is like all the systems and Christ. They aren't always the same And those painful things that happen. I'm not going to give our churches a pass on it, but I'm going to say that's not, doesn't reflect Jesus. And so to say, you are not crazy. This is not what you signed up for. This isn't what Jesus looks like. And you can unsubscribe from some of these extra things, extra legalistic things, these extra systems, you know, whether it's a curriculum or a mega church or an author or a speaker, or even, even your local church that maybe isn't healthy, you can unsubscribe from that without being done with your faith. Mm-hmm. And that was my hope. And about a year, a little over a year in, it's been really good. I've had some great conversations with people and One of my friends who I now, one of my internet friends turned real life friend, I'm going to say, I'm going to claim her as a real life friend because we've talked a lot, even though we haven't met in person. She was one of the first people to comment on the show online and just say, this is anti-gaslighting. And I just love Mm. that. Mm. I love that description of the show. I hope it is a way to like clear away some of the fog of the gaslighting that says that you're crazy because no, you're not crazy. And some of these things just aren't right. You're right. These aren't true. And you know, no, there is no perfect place, but we do not have to settle for supporting places that are abusive, unhealthy, and in the end, not at all like Jesus. Yeah. And I think too, something, Amy, I I appreciate about what you're doing is just providing the space, but also like, this is not something it's okay to take time. Yeah. It's okay to, you know, it may be a few months that may be all it takes you. It Mm -hmm. may be a decade for you to untangle and and some things that you thought about your faith that needed untangling right now, Mm -hmm. you may look back five years from now and say, well, that maybe wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was, but this was a big deal. Yeah. And if we're going to appreciate yeah, we're going to be different five years from now than we are now. That's that's the whole point of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in, in our American culture, we've seen it time and time again, you and I have talked about this. I mean, that's, that's why we keep watching these people that I am guilty of putting them on a platform too. I can't blame it on the other because I'm listening to their stuff. I'm buying their stuff. We see them crashing and burning like crazy because mm-hmm. of the power and the abuse that takes place. Yeah. I think I've learned in this that I really want to prioritize real life people that I know, uh, or that I have like real interactions with whether, you know, and not that high profile people aren't real life people, but I don't have a relationship with them. Right. I don't know what kind of accountability they have. I would rather have most of the voices that I have. I'm listening to 
be someone that I know has some sort of accountability thing. Mm. And I'm not putting all of my eggs in one basket because if that person ends up crashing and burning, Mm -hmm. I don't want all of my faith system and everything tied up in that one place and one person. So true. Well, tell me this as we close out. Um, I know we can find untangled faith in all the spaces, Yes, but, um, and and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but how would you say in the last year are some ways that this podcast has kind of helped you untangle, I don't know, some of your unmet expectations from that so-called Christian kingdom out there in the world? Well, I think I'm on a long decades long path of kind of untangling legalism. You know, I grew up in a Christian home with so many wonderful things, but I made some of those things really legalistic um, rules about things and holding more grace is something that I am in the process of doing. And I think one of the biggest things I would say over the last year is to make room and be comfortable with saying, this is what I know for sure. You know, what I know about my faith and what I know for sure about like our creeds and what we believe, but there are a lot of things that I don't know. Yeah. And I'm okay with saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I'm not going to just draw a line in the sand and say, you know, this absolutely. And I'm not worried as much about convincing everybody to do know and believe all of the right things as I am really wanting people to see Jesus and be transformed by his love and Mm. and the truth. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that sin is not called out, but it means that the priority is on letting Jesus light illuminate those things. I'm just not worried as much about trying to convince people of things. I'm more like, Hey, Jesus, uh, can you show me what I'm wrong about? (laughs) Can you help me see the things that I'm not seeing and just help me, uh, you know, not be all proud of, of knowing every, having all the right things and having all the trophies and, and being the good Christian girl, which doesn't actually help you a whole lot in the end. I am in a place of saying you're right. I was wrong too. because too. yeah, I've said this on my podcast. Like if we believe that we are sinful people and that there are things that we are missing and we see through a glass darkly, there are mm. things that we're getting wrong now that we don't know we're getting wrong. And hopefully we'll figure that out later, but we're not going to know it all until the very end. So just keeping that with an open hand and having grace and, um, humility is, is a daily practice. Well, Amy, I'll say this about you. Um, I appreciate your thoughtfulness and the way that you handle some really hard things in Christian faith. I also appreciate how you're willing to press into them and do that detective work that you spoke (laughs) about earlier. I do feel like you're a discerning person and that your heart is to heed what the spirit is saying. And so I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, Amber. I am. I'm just honored that you gave me space on your podcast to share my story. Amy's podcast, Untangled Faith, is one of the podcasts linked on the free resource page along with this episode. To access that page, go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. Next week, I am joined by acquisitions editor, author, and former managing editor for Christianity Today, Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin's newest book, Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Profits Are Hurting the Church is what we discuss. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. 
Tune in next time! This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bao's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bao's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.